Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to come together and to worship you. We thank you for your word. I ask you to guide and lead us as we look at your word and show us what you would want us to see. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're continuing in Isaiah 42. This chapter has been about the, the Messiah, and now we're going to change just a little bit in direction as we look at, start at verse 18. Hear you deaf, and look you blind, that you may see. Who is blind but my servant, or deaf is my messenger that I have sent? Who is blind is he that is perfect, and blind is the Lord's servant. Seeing many things, but you observe not. Opening the ears, but you hear not. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. But this people is a this is a people robbed and spoiled. They are all of them snared in holes, and they are hid in prison houses, for they are a for a prey and none delivers, for a spoil and none say restore. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will hearken and hear for a time to come? Who gave Jacob to for a spoil and Israel to robbers? Did not the Lord, he against whom you have sinned? For you, or for they would not walk in his ways, neither were they obedient unto his laws. Therefore he has poured upon him the fury of his anger, the strength of battle, and it has set him on fire round about. He knew it not, and it burned him, yet he laid it not to his heart. This is an interesting section as we look about God stepping forward amongst his people. All right? Up until this time, we've looked at pictures of Jesus and calling the people, giving them prosperity, helping them, treading them out. And then he calls out, hear you deaf. Now, when we read this and see you blind, when we read this, we kind of think, okay, God, what are you talking about? You know, the, the, the blind don't uh, see and the deaf don't hear, which is exactly what he's talking about. My people who should know better are deaf and dumb. You know, not paying attention. And sometimes even we as Christians can do just that. Not listen to God. Whether it's on purpose or just through stubbornness or just by sin. We've darkened our eyes. We've we quit paying attention to God. And God says, who is blind but my servant? Or deaf is my messenger that I sent. Who is blind is he that is perfect and blind is as the Lord's servant. He says, my people are being blind. Literally, he's saying, my people. Israel was God's people. He called them. He gave them his truth. They had no excuse not to worship God, and yet they kept falling away from God. They knew the creation story about Adam and Eve. They knew about the fall. They knew about Joseph and Noah and Abraham and Isaac. They knew about being brought into slavery into Egypt and being delivered from Egypt. They knew all of this, and yet they would not recognize God's hand in action. They, didn't, they did not want to recognize him. God led them through the wilderness for 40 years, meeting all their needs. Walked them through the Red Sea on dry land, gave them food, gave them water for 40 years in the wilderness, and yet they would forget about it. And they would brag about it, but they would forget about the powerful God that gave them all of this. And God's saying, you know, hey, uh, you guys aren't paying attention. And, you know, we, we as Christians sometimes get, you know, a little self-righteous about it. You know, hey, if I had seen all of that, I wouldn't have done, I wouldn't have done that. Yes, we would have. We would have been just like them. You know, because we as humans tend to be, what have you done for me lately? Even with God. You know, and this happens a lot. We recognize God, we kind of recognize in the past, and then we look and go, but God, you haven't done anything lately. And if we open our eyes and really look, we'll see how much God has blessed us and prospered us and not delivered us into all the evil that we deserve. And yet we sometimes just get so focused on whatever it is, the problem in front of me. You know, I'm standing right in front of the tree and I don't see the forest because the tree is what i am got my nose up against. And we do this a lot with God. And God's kind of just patiently waiting, like, would you just take a two steps back and walk around the tree? <laughs> you know, I've got this path for you if you'll just 
walk around it. I think the Dr. Seuss story where you've got the two guys that come against each other, neither one of them will move to the right or the left, and they just stand there forever. We tend to try to do that with God. I'm, I'm standing with my nose against this problem. God, remove the problem. And God said, why don't you just walk with me around the problem? Or, you know, or I'll even take you over the problem if you will just take your eyes off the pro problem. But our eyes are on the problem. And we do this frequently. Israel did this frequently. Uh, Moses, you know, I know God delivered us with the ten miracles in, in Egypt. I know he walked us through the Red Sea, but right now we're thirsty. You know, you brought us out here so you could kill us. God brought us out here so you could kill us, you know. Yeah, look at all these mighty things he did. Now he's going to kill us because we're thirsty. Yeah. And we understand that we'd be thirsty in the desert. But instead of going to God and saying, God, we need water, they grumbled and griped. Then a couple days later, we're hungry. You know, we haven't had anything but whatever it is we brought, you know, the cakes or whatever we brought. We're out of food. We need food. And by the way, we also need water. And God says, okay, I'm going to provide both, of, you know, I'll provide both of these for you. And all through their journey, they were always griping and complaining. Because it's, what have you done for me lately? Here he's saying, you know, guys, I've done all these things for you. I have provided for you. I have kept you. And he goes, who is blind but my servant? <laughs> you know. And then he goes, who is blind? It is he that is, that is perfect. Do you realize God sees us as perfect? And yet he also sees us as blind. <laughs> Even his children now, as Christians, God says we're clothed in Christ, and yet how blind are we sometimes? We listen to Satan's attacks at how worthless we are and that God can't love us. We listen to other people who, who say those same, same things to us, and our blindness and deafness to God causes us to fall back. And reject. Talking about perfect is somebody thinks they're perfect so they don't see. Well, who is blind as he that is perfect? It could possibly, and blind as, as the Lord's servant, but I think he's talking about his people. I'm giving you these blessings and you're rejecting them. You're not seeing them. And again, I think about us. How many times has God blessed us? And even with the truth, we are washed in his blood. We are perfect. We are righteous, and yet we will do not live and act like we that we are righteous because we buy into the lies of Satan and the lies of our flesh. Because we know that we're not perfect, and so we go, God, you can't be speaking the truth about me. My strength is in you. How do people get through some hellacious activities in their life? Is they focus on God, and they look at God and say, God, I'm focused on you. You say all things work together for good. You've got a reason for this, and you just focus on him and let him take you through the problems. Because without him, we get paralyzed. We get paralyzed without him. And this is why it's so important. This is why I say, I, I really live on Romans 8, 28. When I wake up, I'm having a bad day, and things are running slow, and go, okay, God, I don't know what's going on, but you've got a plan. When things are all going wrong, I don't know why, God, but you've got a plan. I don't know how you're going to provide for this, but you've promised to provide, so I'm going to just take hope in you. You are Jehovah Jireh, my provider. You're going to provide for me. You're going to give me peace. You're going to give me what I need to get through the day. And I hide in him, and it makes it a lot easier. In everything, with prayer and supplication, make your request be made known unto God. The Bible says, in everything, make your, make, make your prayers and supplications unto God. In everything. But God knows that we, can't, we don't think right, we don't act right, we don't speak right without him, and he knows it. He just loves it when his children, and think about this, when you have a child, you like it when your child comes to you with their problems. Now, it might get, for us as humans, we might get irritated you know, if they're there all the time, but God does not have that irritation. Just be sure that God cares enough, and he says, bring all your cares for on him. On him. If you care enough about it to have a problem, then give it to him. God wants everything. You're much better off always going to God for every little problem and letting God deal with it. Don't ever let Satan tell you that God doesn't want to hear your, your request. Don't let your flesh tell you that. God wants your request. He wants everything about us. Everything about us. But we look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah says that our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? If we try to lean on our own strength, our own understanding, then we will fail. 
which is why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 are in there. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean on unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. So God, I need you to direct my paths. But this is what's important for us. We lean on him because otherwise we're walking around in our blindness. If we try to do it in, our, in the sin nature, we are blind. We stumble. We fall. We will fall into all kinds of traps. The great thing I have is when God walks in my life and I'm walking through him, he'll help me see and discern problems even before they happen. Oh, wow. You know, I would have never noticed this. Look at, look at this thing. This person's setting a trap. And we respond to God's word, and then later he shows us what we avoided oftentimes. And it's just a wonderful thing, cast all our cares. Let's use this as the last example before we move on. What has God done in the scriptures? He keeps repeating himself over and over and over again. He says the same thing over and over. Why? Because he knows that we humans are stupid. He knows that we are forgetful. He knows we wander around and stumble around in our own, our own thoughts and he's really up there just saying, why don't you just come to me? Yeah. Why does God call us sheep? Because sheep are stupid. Sheep will walk right off a cliff, right off, right off, a, right off into a ditch, into, into a cliff, without even thinking twice about it. They'll just wander off and, and fall off the cliff. And God calls us sheep. And a sheep need a shepherd. And I've told you, I've got a fr- I have a friend in California, or had a friend in California. He had some sheep, and there was just this little tiny hill. I mean, it was no more than about two, three feet tall. And if a lamb got behind the, behind the hill and couldn't see the other sheep or see the house, it would go crazy, screaming and hollering and buying, you know. And he'd have to go out and go rescue the sheep and push it around the hill so it could see the rest of them and go bounding over to the rest of the sheep. But God understands that that's where we are and he wants us to call out. He does not want us. And this is the thing. Religion is built upon the idea of do good works and earn God's respect. There is nothing we can do that's going to earn God's respect. That's like the the two and three year old who's really happy. They have drawn their picture. They have made your portrait. doesn't look anything like you, but you know, you're going to be nice. You're going to be kind to them. You're going to say, oh, well, you did a wonderful job. You probably posted on the, the refrigerator. And when people ask, well, that's me. Yeah. Yeah. God knows that that's the way we are. He knows that the best things that we can do are just child's play in his eyes. And yet he loves us. And he's going to honor us. And he's going to give us glory. And he's going to protect us. And he wants to help us. You know, we don't say to our little child, just go away, go play, you know, go play in the uh, drug closet and you know, just eat whatever you want. Go play out in the street, you know, you know, go play with, go play in the snake pit. You know, I just, I don't care enough about you. Go, you know, that's not, that's not a good father or mother. God is a good parent. He's the shepherd that keeps us and says, I want to help you in the littlest things. I want to be careful of what you eat, what you think, what you see, what you do. And I want to protect you. And that's a good thing. I'd be, I'd be in trouble if God didn't have that attitude. You know, and he's there to rescue me when I, when I make the mistakes and do stupid things without thinking about him. And without asking him. The best times of my life are when I do a lot of praying and talking to God about the things that I think I know the answers for. And then he, sometimes he shows me, yes, you're, you're making the right thing. Or sometimes he goes, what do you think you're doing? Come over this way. You know. We just never know. Turn everything over to him. He says in verse 20, Seeing many things, but you observe not. Opening ears, but you hear not. God says, you see me at work, and yet you don't see it. You hear me at work, and yet you don't see it. This is important for us, because how many times do we get so busy, so wrapped up in our emotions, and our anger, and our frustrations, that we fail to see what God is doing all around us. I don't know what you're doing, God, and I'm going, to, I'm going to fight real hard about this, and I'm going to keep fighting until I get an answer. <laughs> but I'm going to keep doing it because, you know, God, I'm a self-made person. I'm going, to, I'm going to make it through. This is something that we have as a big problem for us. God is saying, you are nothing without me. All right? And this is what we have. I can do all things in Christ. 
right? A lot of times religion will try to leave out that in Christ part. And they'll teach you, you can do all things. You know, you can do all things. No, it is in Christ that I can do all things. Without Christ, I'm just a worthless worm who's going to die very quickly and, and disappoint God because I'm going to do everything wrong because my sin nature is going to take over. And it's so easy for the sin nature to take over. You know, we get a little fed up and we get sharp with somebody and, and hurt them. We, we say the wrong thing without even meaning to sometimes. We say the wrong thing and, and, some, and people get hurt. We act in a such a way that gets somebody upset and, and hurt. It's so easy for all of these things to do. And a lot of times it's not even on purpose, it, but it hurts them anyway. I mean, if I, if I say something sharp to somebody and they get offended, whether I meant to do it or not doesn't matter. Whether they deserved it, it doesn't even matter. They're, they were hurt. God understands that. And he says, I'm the one you're to, to lean on. I'm the one who is doing these things around you. Israel, all through the one wilderness wanderings, God feeds them every morning. Gives them manna every morning. Gives them water from a rock every day. Gives them quail every night. And they gripe and complain about God not loving them. You know, and, I, and I'm not making fun of them because we would probably do, we have, we do and have done the same things in our life. God, look at all these blessings you've given me, but I'm not paying any attention to them because all I'm looking at is the problems. This is why I love Paul's statement, I've learned to be content with much and with little because the cares of this world are, are no comparison to heaven. He goes, God, you've got so many blessings for me, whatever you want to put me through. And I'm hoping I'm getting closer to that myself, and I am getting closer. God, I just want to look at heaven and whatever you put me through. Eyes not blinded. These ones are blind. Israel is ready to be judged. During Isaiah's day, he's leading them into, you're going to be judged. Babylon's coming. Babylon's coming to take you into captivity because your eyes are dark and you're not, carry, you're not caring for God. You're not seeing the blessings. This is where he's at. This is what he's talking about. Verse 21, The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness sake. He will magnify the law and make it honorable. So God, I love this. God is well pleased for his righteous sake. When God works with us, God deals with us, he is pleased because of his righteousness, not ours. Isaiah later is going to tell us that our righteousness is just a bunch of filthy rags. God looks at us, and even when he does the work, he says, I am pleased. You let me do this. And this is what I keep saying. When we stand at the Bema seat, our righteousness is not going to be what we get rewarded for. It's going to be his righteousness that we're going to be rewarded for. Through us, that, he, that we allowed him to work through us. And if we think it's something that we've done, he says it burns up. Our righteousness is just a bunch of filthy rags. Again, I go back to the picture of a child. A child playing dress up in clothes that don't fit, that are dirty probably because they've been playing in the mud, asking, don't I look pretty? Don't I look good? That's us before God. <laughs> you know, hey, God, look at all these nice clothes I put on. You know, yeah, they're a little dirty, but you know, I was having fun. <laughs> and if we're not clothed in Christ's righteousness and covered by the, by the blood, then he says, okay, fine. You and your righteousness go to hell. Which is what the world, because how many times we talk to people, well, I hope I'm good enough to go to heaven. I hope I've done enough good things to please God. You're on your way to hell. Because you can't please God in your own righteousness. And here he's saying, for his righteousness sake. And he will magnify the law and make it honorable, full of glory, full of weight. God tells us that we as Christians don't live under the law. Jesus paid the debt. But that does not mean that the law is worthless. We obey the law. It is a, a built up. It is, a, it is living. Why? Because we've said this before. Everything about the law is based in who God is. Every part of it. 
Why do we honor him? Because he's the only one worthy of honor. Why do we not use his name in vain? Because he is so righteous, so holy. Why do we not lie? Because God is truth. Why do we not uh, envy and, and covet? Because God owns everything and give us all that we need. Everything is based in God's character. And he says, I am going to magnify my law. We just can't live the law. Without God, we cannot live the law. With God, we can do better, but we still can't live the law. But he, through us, can live, can live the law as long as we let him. And then those are the times when he's going to give reward. He's going to say, it's going to be honored because it's who he is. He has never thrown away the law. And that's what Paul said in Romans. Yes, we can't live by the law, but the law shows us our, our sin nature. The law shows us who we are. And then God strengthens us and we start living closer and closer to the law. And it's still not the law that makes me get to heaven. It's just God allows me to be more like him. And the more like him I become, the more I fulfill the law. And the more righteousness is poured out because of him changing who I am. And the law is magnified. But originally, the law brings, brings conviction and sorrow. When we start saying, God, <laughs> I've made a lot of mistakes. One of the things you can't do is read the Bible and, and see yourself for anything but a lost sinner. Even as a Christian, you cannot see yourself as anything but a lost, lost sinner. When God says we're to be 100% truthful, he tells us we're not to lust. We're not to covet. You know, and he goes over and over again and how these things are sin. And we start really realizing how often do I do these things? God, uh, man, I'm terrible. How can you even put up with me? And God says, because I love you. I died for you. I covered your sin with my righteousness. And now you're clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to be able to put up with you. This is a beautiful picture that he's painting. We're blind in our, in our own walk. We're blind in our flesh. But man, when we just live according to God's ways, he says, I am going to give you honor. I sometimes wonder, why does God even love us so much? You know, I've really always wondered this. You know, God, you love us. You, you created us knowing that Adam and Eve were going to sin and everybody else was going to sin. And yet you created mankind understand that it does not make sense to me that God knowing what was going to happen did it anyway and then died so that we could go to heaven it just it's unfathomable maybe we'll see he says God's law is magnified he will make it honorable but in verse 22 this is a people robbed and spoiled they are all of them snared in holes. They are hid in prison houses. They are prey. None delivers for a spoil and none says restore. This is God talking about Israel. Israel turned away from him. He goes, you're my precious people. I have a promise for you. I have chosen you. This is something that went to the heads of the Israel, Israelite people. God chose us. Why did he choose them? Because they were perfect? Nope. Because he chose them. And yet, they kept going, we're better than everybody else. We're better than the whole world. That's why God chose us. Well, actually, God chose Abraham. And Abraham understood that he wasn't better than everybody else. And we look at Abraham's life and say, man, Abraham was, had a lot of problems. Now, he just had a little bit of problem every time he walked someplace and, and with his wife and was afraid they, they were going to kill him so they could take his wife and didn't trust God and would lie and have his wife taken into somebody's harem twice because he was too afraid to be honest. You know, and we want to say, wow, God chose Abraham because he was the best? Well, maybe he was, but that's a sad statement of what the best was if that was true. He chose Abraham. Abraham by grace. He chose Isaac by grace. He chose Jacob by grace. And Joseph and Moses and Joshua and all the other people that he's ever chosen that are famous in the Bible by grace. He chooses us by his grace. Why? 
No idea. No idea why he chooses some and doesn't choose others. It's his grace. And it is so wonderful that he does. I am glad that he didn't try to, that I didn't have to earn his favor for him to choose me. For by grace are we saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And we need to be very careful that we're not looking and go, God, uh, you, know, you chose me because I'm the, I'm the best one out there. Well, that's a sorry state of affairs. If we're the best ones out there, it's a sorry state of affairs. And, you know, this also helps us as Christians when we look at one another. If God chose me by grace and he chose you by grace, then why should I be looking at you by works to be perfect? It doesn't, I can't allow that to fit into my mind. You weren't chosen because you were good. I wasn't chosen because I was good. I was chosen by God's grace, and I need to look at others by grace. Because without that, I'm going to be disappointed. If I'm expecting people to be good people, even just because they're Christians, I'm going to be disappointed. Because the flesh is going to pop into existence and say, <laughs> see, I'm not, no. And Satan is going to use that. Satan will use it. Well, they weren't really nice. They weren't kind. They weren't loving. Oh, yeah, you're right. They, they were supposed to be. They're supposed to be a Christian brother or sister. They're supposed to be perfect. You know, I know I'm not perfect, but, you know, they're supposed to be. <laughs> and it drives us away oftentimes. And this is what you hear when you talk, about, talk to people who have left church. Why did you leave church? Well, so-and-so was mean to me. Okay. And? Well, you know, they just, they just really mean to me, and I didn't like it. All right, was God mean to you? Yeah, God was mean to me too sometimes. You know, he, he didn't give me everything I wanted. Yeah. And we have to understand, first off, God owes us nothing. Nothing. And yet he died for us. And he still owes us nothing after we become his child. And yet he says, I'm going to feed you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to comfort you. Now, does he say we're going to have a perfect problem-free life. No. Matter of fact, Jesus said, they hated me, they will hate you. And we know that we're going to have trials and tribulations. The problem is somehow we get it in our mind that we're not supposed to. And when they come, Satan attacks us with, well, you must be a really terrible Christian. Look at this. You're, you're not having all these blessings that all these other Christians have. You're not having all the blessings that these, that these prosperity pastors told you you're going to have. You're a, must, you're a terrible person. You're a terrible Christian. How can you, how can you do this? See how mean those other Christians are to you? They know, they know how bad you are and, and how evil you are and how, you know, you know, so we look at this and say, you know, what are we at? But if I am looking at the fact that I'm saved by grace and that the other Christians are saved by grace, it changes the way I, the way I respond to them. You know, even if they are on purpose being mean to me, I'm going to change my mind and say, all right, God, I'm going to give him grace. Grace is everything. Grace is not the license to sin. It is just saying, I choose not to, not to be angry with you and to cause punishment. I'm just going to choose to forgive. Now, it's not really easy. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes learning. It takes practice. But eventually, we get to the place where I just want to show grace to this person. And we're human beings. We're going we're gonna to run out of grace. You know, without God's help, we're going to run out of grace because we're going to get tired of dealing with the same, same problem. This is why the, you know, when Peter came to Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? And he goes seven times? He was being very magnanimous because the Jews did not forgive seven times. He goes, seven, that's a good number. That's, that's God's number. I'll go you know, seven times. And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. And he wasn't saying 490 times. He was saying unlimited. We can't do that in our human nature. You know, it is hard for us when somebody does the same thing over and over and over to forgive. You know, we just want to say, would you just shut up or would you just behave? You know, knock it off. You know, I haven't gone my 490th time, but I'm tired. It's been 100 times. <laughs> and if you're counting, you're not showing grace. All right, and he says, these are what's going on. They have robbed me. They are spoiled. All of them are snared in holes. He says, there's a problem's coming their way. Their misdeeds are going to be judged, and God brings judgment eventually. He allows judgment to fall. Now, is his judgment on, on, falling on us to, 
to penalize us and say, okay, you deserve hell. No, it falls on us to try to get us to turn to him. God's trials on us are designed to turn us back to him. It doesn't always turn us back to him. Sometimes we get more bitter. But the trials and, and focus is to turn us to God and say, God, I can't get by without you. God, I am humbling myself and I need you, I turn to him and say, God, you're the one I need. And after we're done, sometimes we think back to what we were saying earlier, that it was just too simple. I shouldn't have had, I should have been able to get out of this on my own. And our flesh tells us, you should have been able to get out of it. And God's saying, no, you couldn't get out of it on your own. You weren't ready. And if we think we're strong enough to get through it, we are going to fall flat on our face every time. Because that's what God says. And then it goes on, who will give ear to, of the, to this and who will hearken and hear for a time to come? So God's saying, hey, who's going to pay attention to my voice? Who? Who's going to listen? And it's a call even to us this day. Who is going to listen to God's voice? And it is so easy for us to get wrapped up in the world it is so easy to get wrapped up in all the problems that we're going through and say, God, I'm, I am just so overstressed. I'm so overstressed, I don't even have time for you. Which is exactly the time we should be turning to him. And saying, God, you know, and that's when we come to God, God, I, I need help. I am, I am at wit's end. I'm ready to, I am ready to kill somebody if, I don't, if you don't step in, God. <laughs> because I'm that stressed out. And God says, okay, let me give you peace. And he dumps peace on us and he shows us the way out. And it's pretty amazing. I've said over and over, when I was working in the restaurant, so many times I just went to the walk-in and prayed for a moment, came back out and there's the answer sitting right in front of my face, you know, because my focus has changed. And oh, all right, here, in just one or two pieces and everything is, everything is changed. Nothing changed other than me looking at God. And God walked through the problem. And this is important for us. No matter how big or little the problem is, we focus on God and listen to him. And if we don't listen to him on the little problems, he'll make bigger problems for us to finally try to come and finally listen to him. And if we don't listen to that, he'll make even bigger problems. You know, his goal is to give us such a big problem that finally we think, all right, God, I didn't think the little problem needed to go to you, but I've got to this big problem now. I really need your help. And I can almost picture God in heaven saying, well, it's about time you turned your problems over. Why did you have to make me go through this much trouble to get you to turn to me? I've been there. I've actually heard that comment from God about time. It took six years of trouble, but he finally, finally said, God, I give up. And, and I literally thought I heard about time. You know, because of how stubborn I was being. God wants us to turn over our problems and if we turn them over while they're small and easy, we don't have to go through the hard problems. And when we get used to turning problems over to God, it becomes easy to turn the big problems over to Him. We just we get in that habit. Turn everything over to God. Turn everything over to God. And the more we do it, the easier our day-to-day -day walk is. The less I do it, the rougher life gets. So I want to learn, and I want to encourage us to learn, turn every problem over to God while it's still small. Before you're overwhelmed by it, turn the problem over to him and let him let you see the answer. Because whether it's a real problem that is going to crush you, a problem at work that's overwhelming you, a problem with a person, you turn it over to God and let his peace cover your, cover your thinking. And when his peace covers your thinking, things get a lot easier to see through. And here he says in verse 24, Who gave Jacob for a spoil and Israel to, be, to the robbers? Did not the Lord, he against whom they have sinned? For they would not walk in his ways, neither would they be obedient unto his law. Therefore he has poured upon him the fury of his anger and the strength of battle and has set him on fire around about him and he knew it not. It burned him, and he, yet he laid it not to his heart. This is unfortunately the way we react oftentimes. God brings judgment on us, 
and we don't recognize that it's our fault. You know, we don't, we're not recognizing that we're on fire because God put us in there, because we were, not, we were not listening to him. All we do is turn around, God, why'd you let this happen? God, how could you, how could you let all these bad things happen to me? You know, well, if you had just paid attention to me, God, saying uh, you wouldn't have had all these things. You know, this is what's in, important for us. God, I want to just focus on you. Turn it over to, to you. And the important thing about this is when you're in the middle of the test, God stands back and says, what are you going to do? He's not right there. Sometimes he feels like it's, it, you know, God, where'd you go? God's saying, it's test time. I've trained you, I've trained you, I've trained you. Now we're going to take a test. And this is my answer whenever I'm proctoring a test and somebody's, well, you can give us one answer. I go, it's not my test, it's your test. This is your chance to show what you know. I've got my degrees. I've got my time under, under the belt. This is my, your time to show. God says the same thing to us. This is your test. We've been training you. We've been talking. We've been teaching. This is the test. Are you going to follow me? Or are you going to fall apart? And it's pretty easy. We can come to him and say, okay, God, I'm hiding in you. Or I can try to do it on my own and probably fall apart. Most likely. 99 times out of 100, I'm going to fall apart when I try to do it myself because God's test is a test. And I keep bringing that up. We, we think about this. And I, I keep bringing this out to you. A test is always a test for the person taking it. The kindergartner doing 1 plus 1 equals 2 is terrified because that's a test. Now, if you gave it to a high school student, they'd be looking at you like you were crazy. It's not a test. God's test with us is always going to be a test. And we can't compare our test to somebody else's test. Well, I don't know how you failed that test. That, that was nothing. Well, for them, it was a test. Otherwise, they wouldn't have failed. You know, now, they might be terrified if they look at us. And this is something we do sometimes. We look at somebody who's really spiritual and walking with God and going, oh, I can't go through that. Well, you're not expected to go through that. You go through your test. You go through what is a test to you. You're, you're in kindergarten. You're going to get a kindergarten test. You know, you're not going to put the calculus test that the person's not even going to understand in the first place if they're in kindergarten. Here, let me give you this calculus problem. Okay, I don't know. For them, it might not even be a test because they don't even know that it's a test. How many times do we go through something and we, and we didn't even realize the test? We just turned it over to God and you go, God, I don't understand this. You can have this one. And we walked through this test that we didn't even know we had a test on because it was so beyond our comprehension to see it. God says, I want to open your eyes. I want you to see. And I've been there. I've walked through trials and tribulations before and not realized that I was in the middle of a test because I was completely focused on God. I've had other situations where nothing really is going on and I'm being battered and bruised and, and crushed and I'm going, God, this doesn't make any sense. I went through last year, went, went through this trial with no problems. And now I'm being knocked down by somebody speaking an unkind word or doing an unkind thing. I don't understand. And God says, well, where were you focused back then and where are you focused now? And it is so simple to get out of focus with God. You know, so simple. I get wrapped up in work. I can get wrapped up in, in, in uh, entertainment. I can get wrapped up in some, some situation or some relationship and drift away from God. And then every little... A puff of wind knocks me over. And a year before, I was walking with God and in the Word and in church and loving God and walking through the storms and not even feeling them. And then walk away from Him into some area where it's just not focused on Him. And it really is easy to not focus on Him. It could be somebody brought into our life that's you know, just a friend that we spend so much time with and we forget about God's Word. We forget about church. We can get involved in work. And I've done that. Get involved so much in work that I forget about God. We can get involved with our family in the same way. So wrapped up in family that I forget about God. And in our day and age, a lot of people get wrapped up in television and movies and books. Uh, cars, you know, it can be sports. It can be just any number of things that can get us so wrapped up that we forget about God. And God's saying, okay, let me, send, let me send a few breezes your way to knock you over and get your, try to get your attention. Knocks us over the breeze, we don't get our attention, he starts sending in some storms. Now, if that doesn't work, he sends in some big storms. 
trying to get our attention. The important thing is, am I being blind toward God or am I listening? Am I listening? The prophet was shown God's presence. He sent the storm in, the whirlwind, the thunder, the lightning, the fire. And he says, I didn't see God. And he said, God spoke with a still, small voice. God's still the same way. He speaks with a small voice. He wants us to pay attention. And when you're deaf like me, you have to pay attention to hear anything. So to hear a still, small voice really means I need to be paying attention. And that means get out of the chaos of the world and focus on him. And it is easy to get wrapped up in the chaos of the world. It's easy to get wrapped up in the noise and miss the sound. And in, when you're trained to be a teacher, a lot of times you're trained just to whisper. Instead of trying to be loud over all the noise, you just start getting quieter. And people go, what? What's going on? You know, what? I, I don't know what's going on. And you just say, well, you just be silent and wait for people to be quiet. And it works. And sometimes God is just standing there waiting. Are you ready to listen yet? As we're struggling to hear him. As we're you know, reaching out and going, okay, God, wait, where, where have you been? And then he goes, okay, now you're ready to listen. Now you're ready. Now you're ready to remember maybe. Yeah. And it's amazing to me how easy it is to forget God's word. Which is why I'm just amazed God repeats himself so many times in the word because he knows we're forgetful. And I've said over and over, the greatest thing I'm looking forward to heaven is not forgetting the lessons he's taught me. Remembering them. <laughs> From day zero to day one million, I'll still remember what he taught me. <laughs> I won't be forgetting like I do in this lifetime. Yeah. Sometimes it irritates me when I know that I know something and I can't for the life of me remember it yeah, from the scripture. We look at this and say, God, I love you enough to do this because you love me enough to be repetitive. And I love the fact that God's word is living. You know, some things pop out. You know. Okay, God, this is the 50th time I've read this. Where did this verse come from? And this is what's important for us as we look at what does God do what does he allow in our life and know that he loves us enough to care and that he's always there always there for even the simplest problems because there is no problem that he thinks is not simple he runs the entire universe nothing that happens to us is going to be earth-shattering to him he's holding the whole earth together you know why, why would he be concerned with anything? Oh, oh you, want, you want that? Here, here you go. <laughs> I, I've got all these other things yet, but here's, your, here's yours. When we really understand that God is omnipresent and we have 100% attention of God, every single person has 100% of God's attention. We can't fathom that. This is where it's really important. God, with his omnipresence, on. Uh, uh, omniscience, all-knowing, his all omnipotence, his all-strength, knows and has 100% attention to each one of us. Always remember, God is infinite, which means he has no beginning, no end, and that because of that, he can give every single individual that's ever believed in him from the beginning of time to the end of time 100% of his attention, power, and strength all the time. And we can't fathom that, but we need to just understand that it's true. He has 100% of his attention on me. 100% of his strength and, and, and knowledge is on me. And you, and you, and you, and everybody else that's listening to this online. Even, even if five, three, five trillion other people are speaking to him at the same moment, he's still listening to each one of those people 100%. We can't grasp that because that is beyond anything that we can. I can figure it out and I can understand it a little bit. But I really can't grasp that God can pay attention to every single person everywhere. And if there's other universes, he's doing it to those universes as well. And this is the glory that we have with God. Because he is just so phenomenally greater than we are. And... This is why I keep saying, no matter how big you think God is, you're too small. No matter how strong you think God is, you're too, you're too weak. No matter how omniscient you think he is, you're too, you're too uh, low on that level as well. 
Okay? And I've been thinking about him for many decades. And I still think of a God that's too small. I think of a God who's too weak. I think of a God who's too, too uh, um, somehow doesn't know certain things or something. And even though I know that he knows everything and I know that he's all powerful and I know that he's listening, I still, as big as I think he is, I can't even fathom how big he is. We can't really truly fathom eternity. You know, you can go, yeah, there's no beginning, no end, and I can get some kind of picture, but even then, in my finite being, I'm picturing a beginning and an end. Okay? I may put a lot of space between the two, but I'm picturing a beginning and an end, and, in, and an eternal, infinite God doesn't have a beginning or an end. He goes however far in either direction I can think of, and he goes, I'm, you're not even close to where I'm at. Okay? And I may have a huge number between the two, but God is saying, I'm bigger, I'm stronger, I care more, I care infinitely, I love infinitely. And we can't even fathom what that means. And the closer I get to it, the more he shows me that I don't know him. When I think I'm beginning to understand his love, he starts showing me that I don't even begin to understand his love as he takes it out another huge jump. You know, God, I think I understand your grace. And he goes, oh, you don't even begin to understand my grace. God, I think I begin, I'm beginning to understand your mercy. And he goes, no, you don't even begin to understand my mercy. And usually to show us that we don't, he brings somebody into our life that needs more love, more mercy, and more grace because we thought we had it. We thought we knew what God was talking about. He goes, okay, let me, let me really show you. I'm going to show you that you're not even close. This is a person that I love. This is a person that I give mercy for. This is a person that I give grace. Now I want you to show them. God, that person? That one? <laughs> uh, all right, God, let, you know, let's, let's start learning. <laughs> and God says, I don't need to learn. You need to learn. <laughs> all right? So the important thing for us is to live for God, seek him for, with all of our heart, and know that we're going to be forever learning. While we're on this world, we're going to be forever learning. We're never going to arrive. Because God's going to keep showing us how evil we are in deep inside. He's going to show us how unloving we are when we think we're loving. You know, and you know, I've been there. I've been going, okay, God, I really love people now. You know, I can give grace to people. I can love them. And God says, okay. Uh, God, who is this person that you're putting in my life? This person's a miserable wreck. This person doesn't deserve anything. And God says, right, that's my grace. They don't deserve it. But you're going to love them anyway. Uh, all right, God. <laughs> but that's the way he is. He's going to keep showing us that we're not where we need to be. And this is why we need to be careful, too, when we look at somebody who's been around with God for a long time and think, well, they've got it all together. You know, they, they, they are, they're, they're the perfect one. They've walked with God 50 years. Look, how, look where they're at. And we're going to watch them do something that's going to upset us. And we're going to watch them do something. And they're not going to do it on purpose, probably. They're going to be a bad day, or they may misspeak. They may just do something. And because we had them up on a pedestal, we're going to be kind of crushed. This happens a lot of times to pastors. You know, this pastor is a good man. He's supposed to be good. He's supposed to be perfect. You know, why? Well, why is the pastor supposed to be perfect? And yet it happens that people think this way. But we need to be very careful not to look at anybody, whether it's a father, a pastor, or a, or a discipler, whoever it might be. We can't look at them and say, my whole hope rests on them. Now, we want to look at when they're doing good. We're going, okay, let me, I, want to live, I, want to, I want to live more like them. But when we don't want to put all our hope on them because our hope has to be on God. Our hope has to be in Jesus because he's the only one that's perfect. And I look at Jesus in that person and follow Jesus in that person, but I don't follow that person. Because if I follow that person, I'm going to leave when they fall. And that happens. It happens a lot when a discipler falls and has a bad time. People fall away from God. When a pastor falls, members of the church fall and go, ah, nope. If a pastor can't be good, I can't, I have no hope for me. Well, there's no hope for me anyway, so just trust in Jesus and grace. Very important for us to be able to look and say, God, I'm going to trust in you and your grace. Because I'm not perfect, I'm not going to expect others to be perfect. And this is why I keep saying, you know, I just look to say, God, I want to see grace in them. 
I want to see what you want me to see. And when people fail, help me give them grace. Help me to restore them. Because what do we need when we fall? We need somebody to say for us, you're still loved. You're still forgiven. Now, if we're far enough with God, we may be able to just turn around and bounce back and repent. But even for the most ambitious Christian that's walked with God for a long time, they really need somebody to encourage them. I'm praying for you, and I I want to show you grace. And it's important for us to understand that. God's grace. And we as Christians need to show that to each other so much more than we do. So much more than we do. You know, I forgive you. And unfortunately, most of us as human beings wait for somebody to ask for forgiveness. I am so glad that God did not wait for us to ask for forgiveness before he decided to forgive us. He sent Jesus while we were enemies. While none of us wanted forgiveness at all, or even cared, he sent Jesus to die so that he could forgive us. And we need to be more like Jesus and and God in that aspect, that we forgive others without being asked. And this is important, because if I forgive and I give up my right to be angry with somebody, I can still love them. If I haven't forgiven them and I'm angry with them, I'm not going to love them. I'm not going to be kind to them. But if I get offended by them and I go, God, help me to forgive them, and now I can love that person, even though they know that I'm supposed to be angry with them, especially if they did something on purpose, and I forgive them, and I don't treat them the way they're expecting to be treated, then they might come to God faster. And oftentimes we need to forgive somebody because nothing was done wrong in the first place. We just perceived it to be wrong. And those are really important for us to forgive them because they're never going to ask for forgiveness because they don't think they did anything wrong. Whether they did or didn't becomes irrelevant. If they don't think they did, they're not going to ask for forgiveness. And so we need to be just saying, God, I want to learn to forgive. Even before people ask, if they never ask, forgive them anyway. And let God be exalted. All right, let's close. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We thank you that you are forgiving, that you care for us, that you love us. We ask you to go with us in all of our daily life, Lord. Help us to learn to rely on you in everything. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.